remembering that a lot of things that we perceive to be effortless actually require so much effort, I think that helps us all just relax a little bit. Welcome back. This is Let It Out. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. This week, I speak with chef and cookbook author, Julia Tertian. Julia is a writer. She actually studied poetry. We get into all of that in this week's episode, but she has written multiple cookbooks and co-authored numerous cookbooks. She's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Vogue, the Wall Street Journal, Bon Appetit. She's one of the greatest home cooks of our time, and the New York Times described her at the forefront of the new generation of authentic, approachable authors. Julia not only loves cooking and writing, but she loves talking about food and she has a podcast herself, which we get into. And this week's episode is so much more than talking about food and eating and being a chef. We talk about creativity and and writing and habits and routines as we do on the show, you know, which is a theme regardless of who I'm talking to, whether it's a chef or a musician. And you'll hear how creative and how much on the same page Julia and I are about body image and the connection between eating and how we feel and our body image and the negative effects of the diet industry and the connection between food and comfort and connection to other people and our humanness. It's such a tremendous conversation that I'm splitting it into two. So this week you'll hear the first part and next week you'll hear part two. My show has always been long and last week when I had visual artist Camilla Ingstrom on, I split that conversation into two episodes and I would love your feedback. Do you want to get all the content at once? Do you like it being dosed out to you over two weeks? I think when a conversation is robust enough, like the one last week with Camilla and like this one is with Julia, I put myself into the position of a podcast listener, which I also am. And I kind of like it. I kind of like listening to a little bit now and getting the rest in a week. So we're trying that again this week. Would love your feedback. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation with Julia. I felt so great having the conversation with her live after and then listening back to it, editing it. And I really hope that you have that experience as well. I hope that translates as an eavesdropper to the conversation. You'll hear how I connected with her and it's a really sweet story. Julia lives in the Hudson Valley with her wife and their pets and we'll hear about her new cookbook. This week, we discuss cooking and her process of of working with some really interesting people on their cookbooks and then creating her own. We talk about cooking as a single person. We talk about cooking for others. We talk about, like I said earlier, the food industry and the diet industry and disordered eating. And we even get into capitalism and the tie to perfectionism. We talk about effortlessness actually requiring effort. We talk about creativity and process and poetry. And I'll, I'll, I kind of leave this at a cliffhanger <laughs> with something that I share, but this felt like a very vulnerable conversation on my end. I shared a lot of what I've been going through with food and, and body image and 
cooking and, you know, since the pandemic and just in general. And so we get to that more in part two, but I'll current me will come back in here and give you a little preview at the end of this episode. But please stick around to the end. Thank you so much for being here, for listening. I'm incredibly grateful for you and this community. And if you like Let It Out, if you want to be part of this community even more, we are relaunching Creative Underdogs. So we're allowing in new members until March 1st. Creative Underdogs is my membership program. If you like this podcast, you'll love it. If you don't like this podcast, you're really not going to like it. But it's for we call it a supportive group. It's a place you can bring your creative projects to nurture and I hold space and we do these co-working sessions together and I have artist conversations and it's my favorite thing I've ever done. So more on that soon, but I love you. Enjoy this conversation with Julia. Thank you so much for being here, Julia. This is really tremendously exciting for me and just like keeps getting more exciting the more I, I kind of <laughs> spent the day with you today and yesterday with your book and listening to your podcast and listening to you on, on other people's podcasts to prepare. And I discovered that we're even I knew I really liked you from when I internet met you <laughs> the first time, but I had no idea that there was just like so much alignment in what you believe and how you live to to things that I've been contemplating and feeling. And it just feels really exciting to be able to talk to you on the podcast. That is all really kind and I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to talk to you and I'm grateful you're not sick of hearing me talk. No. And yeah, I think that there's a lot that overlaps in our, you know, Venn diagrams and I'm excited to talk about all those things. And I think what you just said too, I mean, the feelings are mutual and I think it speaks to what happens I think when you kind of put yourself out there in your work and you're honest and vulnerable like it connects with other people so I've from what I know of your work like I've felt that so anyway I'll just mm. say that and yeah it's so nice it's so nice it means so much <laughs> well okay I want to tell everyone else how how we first connected so I was aware of you for for several years because you did my my Dear friend Jess Mernan's podcast, oh, I think yeah. maybe five, six years ago when your first book came out. Yeah, it was a bit ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we recorded like before the book came out. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. 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 It was a long time ago. And I remember just really liking you and just being, oh, she's she's great. But I didn't even really cook. And I was just like, I really, I just liked you. And I think I, I started following you on the in an internet sort of a way. And then this May, my best friend, who ha actually happens to be a chef, um, it was her birthday, and and she's in New York, and she's actually moving here, but she's in New York, and I'm I was in Los Angeles at the time, and I was like, "What do you want to do for your birthday, pal? Like, we gotta celebrate. Like, you know, how are we gonna? What do you want to do? I mean, I'm like, I'm here, you know, like we can't really do anything, but we would do these Friday nights for a while. We would like." drink wine and have a snack together and FaceTime every Friday night for mm -hmm. like a like early pandemic. And for her birthday, all she wanted to do was, oh my God, I don't know why I'm getting emotional saying this, but <laughs> in New York, what we would always do would we would meet at a restaurant as if saying this is like an exotic activity, but <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it sounds that way now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. We would meet at a restaurant and we would, you know, have a have a meal, but often we would get Caesar salad and French fries. And that was just kind of our, our thing or, you know, wherever we were, we would get 
whatever. But she was like, I really want to have Caesar salad and I want us to make it together. And I'm just like, oh God, like I do not cook. Like I, the whole time I lived in New York, I never cooked even like in the pandemic. Like I didn't even really, at that point, I, I hadn't really even like cooked for myself. Like I was eating avocado toast salads that I would just like toss together, like not the kind of like I'd be embarrassed for anyone to even kind of see how I was eating and like yogurt, like anything I could just kind of toss together. But I'm like anything from my friend, like, sure, I'll make this recipe. So she sends me a photo from a cookbook of her favorite Caesar salad. And I'm like, okay, here we are. So I get all the stuff and including anchovies and all the things. And I kind of enjoyed it. I kind of enjoyed putting it together. <laughs> I took a photo of it. I put it on my Instagram. And then I saw like who the recipe is from. And it was you. And I tagged you in it. And you were so nice in the message back to me. You were like, oh, it looks so good. And I, I sent her a screenshot because she loves you. <laughs> and it was this real birthday moment. And then I was like, this is... I got to shoot my shot. So I asked you to oh come on God. the podcast. And then here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Well... Happy belated to your friend, and Carolina. That is so sweet. And I just, I just want to say that you making yourself, you know, your toast and your yogurt and your salad, like you are cooking and taking care of yourself. I just feel like that needs to be said. So. True. That's yeah. true. Well, we, well, we'll get into all of that. But. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard that, and I was like, wait, why is she saying that's not like you're cooking? You're totally uh, cooking. All right, training wheels. Okay, that's. that's, that's <laughs> Cool. I'm in. I'm into that. But anyway, I'm. I'm so happy you're here. Your Caesar salad is so good. I've made it many <laughs> times since. I feel like I kind of have it down. I'm so glad. Yeah. So glad. The Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I one day I want to like bottle it, but I've really I've looked into this. I've like really thought about it, but it's like it's getting into a whole other business that I'm oh, not wow. so sure I want to tackle. It's like a little overwhelming. So maybe for now, someday? I'm just happy to make yeah. it. Yeah, maybe someday. Sure. That's really cool. <laughs> I, I would be your, I already am your cheerleader and hype girl, but I would be the um, official of that product, especially. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Let's check in. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You'll be back on the podcast for that. I've been exclusive. thinking about it for so long, but anyway, okay, sorry, go on. No, no, that, well, this is, okay, so I, I want to go back and hear about your, your history and, and have people get to know you, but I'd love to first start in the present of what's present for you. What have you been, what's coming up for you today? What have you been learning and contemplating lately? What's been coming up today, to be totally honest, is, so my wife, Grace, and I live in a, a kind of an old house or I don't know, sort of built in, whatever, you don't need to know all this, but there's a portion of our house that's very old. And we have known that there has been this leak happening, but we've kind of ignored it. <laughs> and it kind of got to the point where we couldn't ignore it. And so our plumber, who's also like basically our neighbor, he came today and he basically had to like take apart part of like our ceiling and our wall. And oh, no. we were <laughs> just I mean these are like very nice problems to have but we've also been incredibly cautious about all things COVID and so it just felt very like oh my gosh like all these guys are in our house and doing this thing but it kind of like couldn't be avoided anyway I'm just telling you this because I think um that's what basically took up my day today <laughs> but also got me thinking about this I don't know just idea of like feelings of um 
vulnerability, I guess, like safety and security and like also just like the unknown of what's happening inside the walls of one's home and <laughs> those types of things. But it's been interesting too, because basically we're just, I don't know, they fixed the leak, but now there's all these like holes in our house and we can see like the insides of our house, which is kind of amazing because I'm looking at, you know, pieces of wood that are probably... I don't know, 150 years old or something, which is kind of like amazing. And it seemed really daunting and scary. But now I'm like looking up at the ceiling. Well, not right now. I'm not sitting under this like open (laughs) thing at the moment. But it's also like, it's kind of cool. And I'm like, oh, it's not so scary. And so that feels kind of nice to not feel scared of like the stuff behind the walls. Like we've been avoiding it for so long, you know, like I think we've built it up in this way. So that is what's on my mind today, to be just totally honest. And it has nothing to do with food or cooking or <laughs> anything. Yeah. I think there's something to that of like seeing what's under the hood or mm-hmm. cleaning out your closet or, you know, like I think from a feng shui perspective or from it's like going into those dusty corners. And exactly. yeah. I, I don't know if I, I live in this, my building's an old school and so it's really high ceilings and it's it's just a studio, so it's just the one room. But I, I found myself kind of having this OCD cleaning in the pandemic of like, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to even work without everything being in place. And even these like, okay, I didn't clean the wind. Like I have to do the windows and underneath the bed and like, and just wanting to know and like cleaning out my closet multiple times. And it's just, I think there is something like you, I never sleep better then when I've like cleaned up my closet and have things, you know, and, and looking at those things that we we put aside, I think this is such an, a good analogy for emotionally because mm-hmm. we all have those things that like that conversation that we kind of need to have or that person exactly. that we need to check in totally. with and yeah. you're carrying yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, just open up the wall, <laughs> like just deal with it, <laughs> like mm-hmm. fix the leak. Yeah. I could like go on with this plumbing analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually like am finding this very inspiring of, of like some things I need to do yeah. life-wise or work-wise or, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of like eat the frog or rip off the bandaid, but. <laughs> eat the frog. Have What's you heard of that? From? Like kiss the frog? No, there's this concept called eat the frog. That's like, I think it's like a productivity concept of doing whatever the thing you're dreading most on your list, doing it first. And then it like creates momentum. Oh, I totally believe in that. I just never knew it had that. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I guess because eating a frog would not be great. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not like the thing you most want to do. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had a frog recipe? (laughs) I've never written a frog. I've eaten like frog's legs, um, but I have never cooked them or written a recipe for them. No. So it's probably pretty safe to say it's not like the most pleasant thing. So it works for the analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, you got into food and cooking quite young and I know you studied poetry and I've heard you speak about the connection between poetry writing and recipe writing. And I was wondering if you could start by talking about that. Sure. Um, I would love to. So yeah, I've cooked my whole life since I was really little, since before I can remember. And I have also always loved words and, and stories and writing. 
And when I went to college, you know, a lot of like the adults of my life when I was growing up were like, oh, you love to cook. You know, you're the kid who loves to cook. Like my parents would call me Julia the child <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, and so, and everyone would say like, oh, are you going to go to culinary school? Like, do you want to have a restaurant one day? Like, it seemed like this very linear kind of trajectory for someone, who, you know, young and interested in food or any age really, but I was young at the time. And I just have never been interested in that path. And I always wanted to kind of live at this intersection of, of food and words. And so when I was in college, yeah, I studied poetry, um, which might not be the most obvious <laughs> kind of thing to do in general. Um, but I have found it to be incredibly useful in my career. And in studying poetry, I, I guess I should clarify, I was like a creative writing major. Well, at the school I went to, you couldn't major in it, but I basically got whatever. None of that's important. I studied creative writing. I was reading a ton of poetry and sort of studying other poets' work, but I got to write so much poetry when I was in college. And I mean, I don't think any of it was like anything I would want to read right now, <laughs> but like it was like really earnest stuff, mostly about like food. And in the practice of studying poetry and being in writing workshops, I got really used to a few different things that have remained really useful to me. One is just the process of putting your work out there and getting feedback. <laughs> like that's incredibly useful. And I think the biggest thing for me that I've taken is that I approach every recipe I write as if it were a poem, which is to say, I, what I do for a living is write things that are full of description. <laughs> you know, I try to tell you exactly how something is going to smell when it comes out of the oven, what it's going to look like, what the texture is of something, how to shape a dough, you know, whatever it might be. I'm describing things, which is what you do when you write a poem. You're describing stuff and trying to, you know, allow people to just kind of see it and sort of feel it. And I'm also trying to do that in the shortest amount of words as possible which maybe, as you can tell from my answers to your questions, like doesn't come that naturally <laughs> to me. So I, when it comes to writing, I'm like constantly just like refining and making things as short and descriptive as possible. So very much like approaching poetry. And I think in general, studying writing in school, you're studying communication, right? Like how to just you know, read and write and talk to people and share stories and how to read them and how to read them critically and how to take them in. And so, you know, these are things I do like every day. And this might all just be me trying to justify spending, you know, a very large amount of money on an education that, you know, poetry isn't like something you, most people make like a large income off of or anything to like make up for that investment. But yeah, I feel like I'm now going off on attention. But yeah, it's worked out. I love that. I mean, I think it's kind of one of those can't connect the dots moving forward, only going back, which is mm, always useful. Yeah. yeah. You've co-written some of the most famous cookbooks, including The Fat Radish, which is one of those restaurants that Caroline and I would <laughs> always go to, and Gwyneth Paltrow's books, famously, and previous podcast guest who I love, Dana Cowan. Can you talk about some of those experiences and what they taught you and what that was like for you? Yeah. I mean, I've had the great fortune of working on such a range of books. 
Yeah, including probably most notably like um, the first two cookbooks Gwyneth Paltrow did and a bunch of other cookbooks from so many different people. And I think in that process, I mean, it's it's collaborating, right? So with each person, it's a totally different process and I learn something new each time. But I would say like the overall thing I've taken from those experiences, I mean, there's lots of logistics stuff, which I'm happy to talk about if it's interesting, like about, you know, recipe testing and producing a cookbook photo shoot and all those things. But I would say in general, the biggest thing I've taken from these just various collaborations is like the constant reminder that if if you're going to create a book of any kind, whether it's a cookbook or something else, like, are you the right person to be the author of this book? <laughs> like, is this your story to tell? And to really try and only work on stories that only you can tell. I think that's really important. And I think it just makes the process actually a lot easier <laughs> and like interesting and gratifying for everyone. So yeah, for my own books, I've definitely felt that way. You know, they're really personal and they're, you know, my, you know, with every recipe, there's a story. So these are my stories. I'm not just getting to share, you know, my favorite Caesar salad dressing. And it is that. <laughs> and I think it's, you know, I, I love it. I make it all the time. But I'm also sharing the story behind it and where that came from for me and what my relationship is to this, you know, particular recipe. And so I have had the, both the experience of doing that myself and also helping people do that for themselves. That's very much been my role as a collaborator. And it's just been really amazing because I've gotten to learn so much from all of those different people, which is just a really just, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like a cool thing. <laughs> and yeah, I've gotten to sit like in the front row of like all these classrooms, basically. So it's, it's, it's been really cool. Today's episode is brought to you by Jenny Kane. So Jenny Kane is this secret to an effortless, elevated home and wardrobe. They make these timeless classics with inviting neutrals that focus on comfort without sacrificing style. I honestly couldn't believe it when this brand became a sponsor of this podcast because I have been a fan. They make, you know, the knit that you're really obsessed with. They make the slippers that you don't want to take off. They're so luxe. Their clothes are cozy and chic. And I'm really, really tremendously happy that they're a sponsor of this podcast because I have been loving this brand for a really long time. And these slippers, my feet are constantly cold and I take them to my friends' houses. I wear them all the time here. They're chic, they look cool, they keep my feet warm, and I honestly love them so, so, so much. If you're not familiar with this brand, get into it. I think you all would really like it and maybe find something. So they're really known for these signature pieces, which are, they make these mules, they make them in leather and suede, they're classic, and that's what started it all. So they're this, you know, kind of effortless, comfort, endless versatility. They can make you look put together instantly. They are also known for their fisherman and cocoon cashmere and cotton sweaters. So they're lightweight and really great for layering. So 
look into that as well. Jenny Kane believes that getting dressed should be the easiest part of your routine with polished basics and home pieces that will never go out of style. They make everyday moments a breeze. So check out their wardrobe essentials that you'll never get tired of. They have these really great staples that, you know, are really great investments that you can keep for a long time and make you feel really great. I love this brand. I'm so excited about it. Find your forever pieces at jennycane.com and get 15% off your order when you use the code let it out at checkout. That's Jenny J E N N I K A Y N E.com and the promo code is let it out. I just want to jump in here to remind you about my weekly stereo show. So every Thursday at noon, I am going live on the new app stereo. If you haven't downloaded it yet, download it, follow me, and I would love for you to tune in to our show. It's really an extension of this podcast where you can join the conversation and leave a voicemail and listen to it live. And I'm calling it So I Meant to Ask You. So it's things that I forgot to ask on the recorded version of the podcast. I would love for you to be there. It's a conversation app. So if you like listening to podcasts, it's pretty likely you're going to like the app Stereo. I love being on there and listening to other conversations and and hosting them myself. It's really just talking to someone on the telephone with other people eavesdropping who can be part of the conversation by leaving a voicemail. So I would love for you to join live and the link to get the Stereo app is in the show notes, stereo.com slash Katie Dalebout. I love Stereo. I'm going to be talking on there a lot. I can't wait to talk to you in there too. Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage I've ever had. There's a lot of stressors in our lives and maintaining everything that our body needs nutrient-wise can be tough. That's where Athletic Greens comes in. They can help you. It's a superfood powder that's your nutritional essential. It's by far the easiest way to get everything that your body needs nutrition-wise and a really great healthy routine to add to your day. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 minerals, vitamins, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, greens, a superfood blend. It all works together to fill these nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid with digestion, supports a healthy immune system, all without needing to take multiple products. I really am into this product. I take it every morning. I have it with some warm water with lemon, and then I have my athletic greens, and I have it before coffee, and it I'm into it. I think you'll like it too. It's really great. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system in the winter months. So they're offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you use my link today, you'll basically never have to buy vitamin D ever again. So whether you're looking for peak performance or better health or just covering your basis nutritionally, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Katie and join me and a lot of other people who are taking Athletic Greens every day. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Katie. That's A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E-N-S dot com slash Katie for your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. 
when it comes to working with these people that we just mentioned, what does the process look like? I'm envisioning it as they kind of have their their recipes that they maybe always make or our family recipes or things that they cook. What is the process like on your end? Are you taking notes and then taking that recipe and then testing it and, and doing that part of it? Or are you coming in with ideas as well? I'm just not really familiar with how a collaboration sure. like that would work. Yeah, it's it's very mysterious because <laughs> I feel like it works differently kind of on every project. And I've talked to a lot of other cookbook collaborators and co-authors and writers, and we all basically are like building the planes while we fly them, <laughs> essentially. And I think there's like a few things that each of my experiences have had in common, but they have been really different based you know, just from this like logistics standpoint, they've been different based on what material already exists. So like you brought up the Fat Radish cookbook before, which was such a fun project to work on. And they had essentially like a binder of the recipes from the restaurant. And my job was, I mean, one of my jobs, I guess, was to basically act as like a translator is how I think about it, to translate these kind of restaurant recipes into recipes that anyone at home can make. So that meant looking at things that were written basically by like one chef, one professional like restaurant chef for another. So, you know, things were usually in larger measurements, you know, they're cooking for like a larger volume of people than most people do at home. Things were often in weighed amounts. A lot of restaurants and especially bakers, I, I worked on a bread baking cookbook and it was really similar things are given in weights and most American kitchens don't use scales, even though I think that they make things so much easier, <laughs> which I would be happy to talk about. I think like people are intimidated by them, but it's like so, so much easier. But anyway, I would like do a lot of math, basically converting these weighted measurements into, you know, more recognizable measurements for home cooks. And then again, a chef writing for another chef, it's someone who really knows how to cook, talking to someone else who really knows how to cook. They don't have to say very much in terms of instruction. <laughs> you know, it might just say like, mix and bake the cake or something, <laughs> you know, like, and you don't know which order to put the ingredients in the bowl or whatever it might be. So my job is to come in and make make recipes work for home cooks. I would say, if anything, that's what I specialize in, making recipes that home cooks can really succeed at making. And so that's kind of one end of the extreme, like the restaurant kind of cookbook, like a binder of recipes. I've worked on a few projects like that. The other end is working with someone who has nothing written down, um, which I've had experiences with both restaurant chefs <laughs> who have been like that and home cooks that I've worked on their cookbooks with. And that is, as opposed to taking kind of the binder, so to speak, that usually involves me sitting in the kitchen while they're cooking and I'm sitting there with my notebook and I am taking copious and like very detailed notes. And as the years went by, as I worked on various cookbooks, because when I started, I mean, I'm not that old, but I guess I've been doing this for a long time, like 15 years, I think. And I mean, I didn't have an iPhone at the beginning, <laughs> like that's been a big change. You know, I was I was a real BlackBerry girl for a long time. And the iPhone has actually changed my work a lot because I video people cooking a lot because it's really helpful to go back and see because 
A lot of people do things they don't even realize they're doing when they're cooking. Like people who are really good cooks and cook intuitively, they're tossing in this and they're, you know, turning the stove down a little bit in the middle of cooking something and then turning it back up. And they might not think to tell you those little details, but those details are really important. So I'm doing like a ton of observation, a ton of note taking. I've sometimes with different people I've worked with, I've gone as far to measure out ingredients before they start cooking, knowing what they're going to make. And, you know, we've talked about it before. And then as they're cooking, they can cook really intuitively and add like a little olive oil, a little vinegar, whatever. And then at the end, I remeasure and see what's left. So I know exactly how much they've added. I mean, that's really intense. It's like, that's a lot of work. Well, I loved you. You said somewhere that recipes aren't prescriptions, they're frameworks. And Mm -hmm. I really loved that. It felt very poetic to me. And I think that's a good message for all areas of life, you know, like I've been too dogmatic and prescriptive about, you know, wellness things or Mm -hmm. self-help things, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it's a, it's a really nice framework and, and definitely for cooking. Could you expand on that a bit? Yeah, totally. And it's something, I'm really glad you brought this up because it's something that I have continued to think about and I think allow myself to have those feelings evolve. And I, I am someone who, as I just mentioned, like, you know, I obviously put like a lot of time and thought into the recipe writing process. And I really care about the reader. You know, I think with a cookbook, when you're giving someone a recipe, like it's one thing to write a book and, you know, someone might not like it or whatever. And, you know, that sucks, but that happens. (laughs) Um, And with a cookbook, when you're writing recipes, not only are you asking for someone's time to like read it, but you're also asking for them to go spend money at the grocery store and come home and then cook something. So they're spending more time and money. Like these are investments I like take very seriously (laughs) and I really want things to work out. And I'm so happy you shared the story about the Caesar salad dressing. And that means a lot to me to know that like you're not someone who like, as you said, cooks very much and maybe you're like a little bit skeptical, but now you've made it a bunch of times. Like that makes me so happy. (laughs) Like, and it feels like, you know, a return on that investment to use like business talk, which I don't really even know what that, any of that means. And so in terms of like recipes being frameworks and not prescriptions, I think they're often taken as this thing that has to be so serious and official and you have to follow it exactly as I was describing in the process of testing it. I mean, that's available if you want. Like, I think some people are really comforted by following something to the letter. And I think that allows a lot of people to feel very supported, which I'm all for. But I also, my goal with my recipes is honestly to give you all the information so that you don't have to keep using it <laughs> so that you learn like the, that muscle memory on your own. I mean, I guess I'm just trying to put myself in a business. I don't know. But like, yeah, like I was saying, I, I cook very intuitively when I'm at home. I'm not cracking open a cookbook every time I want to make a meal. And I cook every day and it's like the most relaxed part of my day. And I just want as many people to feel that as possible. So I think recipes are this, re- you know, especially a recipe that's been well tested and thought out like it's this thing you can rely on like they're training wheels in a way like if you want to use them great and if you want to just reference them great and if you want to flip past the page and just like have it in the back of your mind great (laughs) like all of that is possible so yeah they're there if you want them 
if you don't want them, there's stories, you know, there's pictures, like there's a lot in a cookbook to, to use. And I just try to put as much as I can in there. And I just think what I would hope all home cooks feel at some point in their kitchen is just a sense of like freedom and relaxation. And in terms of the sort of prescriptive thing, the thing about this that I've thought a lot about more since I first kind of like shared that idea in writing is I think it's all tied to, you know, you mentioned a similar thing happening with like wellness stuff for you and stuff like that. Like that, I'm glad you shared that because I think these things are all connected and I think they all tie to like perfectionism to a sense of like, there's a right way to do something like there's not a right way to roast a chicken. <laughs> like, you know, and I've shared ways in my books, like, but all the ways work. Like you put the chicken in the oven <laughs> and you cook it. Like, that's it. And like, you could get into all the details and like, there's different ways too, but there's not like the best way. There's just various ways. And I think the sense of perfectionism, which the more I understand about it, you know, the more it's rooted in things like white supremacy, which might sound like you know, a crazy thing to talk about after just talking about roast chicken, but like these things are all really tied together. I think the sense of, yeah, like a right way or this is better than that, you know, that's something that I think happens a lot in cookbooks that I very much want to move away from. Mm, God, I love that so much. It's like this need and want to be loved or to be right or be correct, mm -hmm. you know, really taints something that could be just tender and nice exactly yeah exactly <laughs> i think um, this is maybe you maybe you, you just covered I think this, this but is maybe you spoke maybe about you covered this but effort I, I wrote this down effort that goes into feeling effortless mm. can you talk about that concept it's it's something i've been thinking about a lot lately i think the first thing that comes to my mind when you bring that up is i think how a lot of us feel when we open something like instagram or when we open a cookbook where there's really pretty pictures and it seems like the napkin just fell that way, right? <laughs> like, and I can tell you, having been on a million food photo shoots, like the napkin doesn't just fall that way. Like there are people <laughs> who like mess with it so much. That napkin was probably preceded by 10 other ones and they've tried this color and that color and this pattern and I'm going to put it over here and I'm going to put it under the spoon and no, I'm going to, you know, whatever. Like people just go crazy with these details to get to the point where it seems like it just, you know, you just woke up that way <laughs> to borrow from Beyonce when I'm talking about a napkin. I don't know, that feels weird. <laughs> so I think remembering that a lot of things that we perceive to be effortless actually require so much effort. I think that helps us all just relax a little bit. And I guess the second thing that comes to mind, because that's very like, you know, a reputation and image and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's another part to this kind of idea of the effort that goes into things being effortless that feels like a little bit deeper to me and less um, outward, more inward, which is just that feeling of whether it's you're relaxed when you're cooking or if it's like feeling really relaxed around your friends, which not everyone does, right? <laughs> like some people are hiding something or not sharing something or something like that. Like that feeling of just being sort of joyous and carefree, that's really just hard to achieve. And I think sometimes just recognizing the work that we have to do just on ourselves and with ourselves to 
essentially just be a little bit kinder to ourselves. It takes work. I don't know. Like I, I'm very pro therapy, <laughs> um, something I do a lot of and I talk about all the time. And I also know that it doesn't, it's not like the right thing for everyone, but I think whatever, whatever tools you need to, you know, really take care of your mental health. I just think finding those tools and using them is incredibly important because I just think it takes effort to be alive in this really tough world. And I just think it's good to recognize that because I think a lot of people think other people are having an easy time. And I just, I don't think anyone is. And I think some of us are having a much easier time than others, a thousand percent in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's all like, I don't know, I guess things are relative and whatever, but. And you kind of were talking about that on this episode with, with Dr. Lindo Bacon, which I really want to have time to get into, but mm. that concept of feeling humanness is 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 tough, you know. Yeah. So we turn to yeah. all these coping mechanisms, and just knowing that instead of trying to change it was mm -hmm. was really helpful. And and I think you just articulated that a bit. And then I find with with people too, like what what you said about the napkin and and the cookbook. I think the more time I've spent with people that I've put on a pedestal, whether it's been in a work situation or a romantic situation, or it's happened a lot recently. I think the pandemic has shown me more humanity because it, mm -hmm. it kind of became primal of like we were stripped of a lot of the things yeah, that yeah. made us status, I guess. And I think in some ways there's also so much privilege, like like you were saying, but it just has showed me again and again the people I think are, you know, just so effortless and cool, like also have insecurities and we all put on our pants one leg at a time. Yeah, totally. I think like it just I don't know, normalizing like not being cool <laughs> feels like really valuable. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I I wrote down 20 things I learned last year. And one thing that I wrote down was that I am warm. I'm never going to be cool. I'm never going to be mm -hmm. elusive. I'm never going to be like, I always wanted to be like an Olsen twin. And like, you don't, I'm wearing big sunglasses <laughs> and you don't, it's just like, that's not me. Like, yeah, it's just never yeah. going to be how I am. <laughs> that's so funny. I think being warm sounds great. I think that's, I think that's great. I think so too. I mean, it's, I'm stuck in here. It's all, it's all we've got to work <laughs> with. And, and you seem, you are, and to me, like a lot of my friends are cool and warm. Like to me, you're very cool, <laughs> but like, you're also warm. And I've met people who are cool and not warm, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm like a good room temperature. I don't yes. Know. <laughs> yes. Totally. So as I mentioned several times, I listened to your episode with Dr. Bacon. Um, mm -hmm. I was so happy to see that they were on your show. And I, I also saw on your Instagram that you were reading my close friend, Christy Harrison's book, Anti-Diet. Mm -hmm. And it was just so comforting to see those two things were, were so comforting because I, I'm assuming we're, we're probably on the same page, body image and, and food wise, which I think is and, and I'm, I want to ask you if that feels to me as it's kind of rare in the food and restaurant and cookbook industry. Has that been your experience? A thousand percent. And, you know, I think this is definitely an area where 
as we were saying at the very beginning, like I think our, you know, Venn diagrams kind of overlap or whatever. And I think that a lot of people get into the world of kind of food media because they come from not like the happiest of relationships with food. And I'm saying that because I've talked to a lot of like friends and colleagues about that. And I'm saying that because I include myself in that. And I think for the majority of my life, I very, very much was, I was, I was brought up in diet culture, like raised in it and I practiced it and I, I preached it <laughs> for a really long time because I didn't really know it was a thing. Like I didn't know there was another option. And as I've started to do things like read Dr. Bacon's books and read Christy Harrison's books and read Aubrey Gordon's book and, you know, follow her work and read people like Sonia Renee Taylor. And, you know, I could go on and on and I will for a little bit because I think these names are really important. Sabrina Strings and, you know, Fearing the Black Body and, you know, the racism that's at the root of diet culture and fat phobia, which was news to me. I didn't know that. I wasn't taught that. And learning about these things has helped me personally, and it's also helped propel me professionally. <laughs> and on a personal level, I have, these words are sensitive, I know, and so I want to be careful about them. But I would say I definitely had for a really long time, like a very disordered relationship to food and eating. And I think part of what has drawn me to my work as a cookbook author is this honestly, like very false sense of control over food. You know, like my work is about measuring things down to the teaspoon. You know, it's about telling you, you know, maybe not the right way or best way to do something, but like ways to do things and to give you these instructions. And that's very seductive for me. You know, it's seductive for me to feel like I can have that control and authority when in reality, I was often feeling extremely out of control <laughs> and a little like out of my body. And so as I've learned more of these things and tried to truly embody them, and I mean that like literally, <laughs> I have just felt so much better and happier and more close to myself and gotten to know myself more. And that feels really valuable for me personally. And it also feels incredibly valuable to put into a cookbook that has the word healthy on the cover and to talk about healthy not being the same thing as skinny. <laughs> I feel like we have had this like wonderful conversation and if you had to delete all of it and keep like 10 seconds of it and nothing else and if I could only share one thing that's what I would share. Like healthy isn't the same as skinny. Like they don't mean the same thing. <laughs> and Maybe that's obvious for people, but if it's not, it's just worth saying or worth reinforcing. It's just something I wish I understood a long time ago. I think I could have saved a lot of pain. So yeah, those are some thoughts. And my thoughts on all of this are constantly evolving. I wrote part of what makes Simply Julia as personal as it is are a number of essays that I wrote in the book which is not something I've done in my cookbooks before. And I explored some of the things we're talking about. And I wrote this essay, the title of it is On the Worthiness of Our Bodies. And it's about all these topics. And I wrote like 10 drafts of that essay. If I were to write it today, I think I would probably change some stuff or add some stuff. You know, I'm I'm totally like 
it's cool. I'm happy with it. <laughs> like, I'm happy it exists. But that's just to say, like, I'm constantly learning new things about this. I'm not an authority on this in any way. I'm just sharing what I feel and what I know. And um, I hope that it, just like the recipes, feels accessible and supportive. Like, that's that's my goal. Well, it's interesting. Health at Every Size was such a seminal book to me in my eating disorder recovery. And then I felt like, oh, wow, it's so cool to know this. But unless everyone else is on the same page with this, it's like still hard to live in this world that is so fat phobic. And we have this internalized fat phobia and, you know, with racist roots and everything that you, you were saying. And in this episode with Dr. Lindo, you, the two of you were talking about, or I think it was, I think they said how these seeds that we're planting, we're not even going to get the the fruit from. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. I can be really down about that from mm-hmm. a, you know, the, the movement and, and really wanting to, and, I, and I've talked to Christy about this too, of like, God, I just wish everyone had read Health at Every Size, or I wish yeah, everyone listened to yeah. Food Psych, or I wish everyone read your book because it can be. I'm someone who's who's so malleable that like, and, and still learning these things. But then I'm around people in in my life, and just very casually, they're talking about food in this way that's so restrictive, or wanting to lose mm-hmm. weight, or and then you know I try to. It's it, it's hard to to preach. You know, I don't want to like get on my soap stand and be like, you should read health at every size, or like actually mm-hmm. size doesn't have anything to do with health, and but it can't be heard unless it's it's wanting to be heard. So I think to have someone and when I saw that it was so comforting, I, I really mean that because to have someone in the food industry who's so prolific be like that, I think is or to understand this and, and say exactly what you just said, it, it is so comforting to to me. And you know, Christy and I uh, have spoken about this a lot and and for people listening, I know they've heard me talk about this on the the podcast a lot in one of my 1 million episodes with her, but she, (laughs) she and I both relate to the fact of like what you were, I think alluding to, which is that when this is something that she, I think she talked about this in the book, but how, when your career is in a malleable place, while you have a disordered relationship with food or Mm. a full-blown eating disorder, people end up going into like personal training or they start a wellness blog like me or they become like Christy became a dietitian or you get into food or whatever it is. And yeah, it's super common, which is so fascinating. Yeah. And kind of sad, but also like connect the dots moving back. Like, okay, it's fine. But yeah, it's just wild to me. I'm just sitting here nodding at everything you're saying. And I think again, like the thing with the napkin and the picture in the cookbook, you know, thinking it's effortless. (laughs) I think that applies here, right? And I just, I don't know. I'm really with you. I understand that feeling of, uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes like a hopelessness about the, I feel like when it comes to, I'll, okay, I'm not like completing a sentence. Sorry. It, it's just, this is so important. And all the people that you're talking about, that we're talking about, all the books we've both mentioned, like I will say like these books, these people have changed my life. Like listening to the Food Heaven podcast like with Jess and Wendy, um, you know, just to add more names to this amazing pile, like these things have truly changed my life because how we cook and eat is our daily life. <laughs> and I, for so long, spent my day-to-day life 
feeling scared of what I was eating, feeling guilty about what I was eating, um, feeling all sorts of things, feeling like a failure most of the time because I had in my mind some schedule or some program or some system or whatever. Like that was impossible because it was totally like not in line with what my body needs. <laughs> and, but I felt like I was failing and that is, that's, that's really toxic. And all of these people and books and podcasts have truly gotten me out of like a pretty dark hole about it. And if my book can be, you know, one on that pile and help add to this conversation, like that's thrilling to me. And I also think it's a good reminder that we need these messages to come from everywhere because diet culture and fat phobia and fat shaming and all of these things come from everywhere. So, you know, I'm thinking about Christy's book and I, the last time we went to go visit my in-laws, I was reading her book and I brought it with me. And I remember I was sitting on the couch in their living room and we were all just, you know, kind of like sitting around in the afternoon and, you know, everyone's like on their phone or reading a book, you know, that kind of moment with family. And I had her book and it felt, I, I felt like I was reading something provocative, you know, like something like, are they going to see the title on this cover and like ask me questions or something? I mean, my in-laws are like amazing and like, but this was all me, right? This was my internalized fat phobia and judgment and stuff. And then I realized like, it's great that I'm reading this book. It's making me feel good and I'm happy to talk about it and actually led to like, I had a really nice conversation with my father-in-law about it, which was really cool. But I think it's just, I know I felt that way and I am have spent my life thinking about this stuff, right? So I can only imagine for someone else who maybe doesn't have that same background, what it might feel like. And so that's why I think putting these similar messages and sharing these similar stories in all different forms of media are so important. So sitting maybe on your in-law's couch with my cookbook might feel a little bit different, <laughs> you know, might feel a little bit maybe of like an easier way in. Maybe that leads you to Christie's book or Aubrey Gordon's amazing book or, you know, whatever. Um, maybe it leads you to listening to a different podcast. And I think this kind of speaks to something I've thought about a lot and gotten to sh share this thought a lot, which is this idea of like the quiet power of cookbooks. Like one of the things that has been unexpected for me because it wasn't something I did as like a plan. It's just kind of happened is that because my work is so personal, it means I talk about my wife all the time. I've mentioned her a few times on this podcast. Um, she's awesome. <laughs> I love her. It's why I'm married to her. But also she's the person I cook for the most, you know? So she comes up all the time in my cookbooks because I'm always making us meals. <laughs> and so that's like when it comes to the stories, like I'm kind of a broken record. <laughs> like my wife loves this, so it's in the book. But that said, I have connected with so many queer women over the years and so many, especially like young queer women who have told me, you know, what it means to read the word wife written by another woman, like so many times and so casually and not in a book that has like a pride flag on the cover. Not that there's anything wrong with a book that has a pride flag on the cover, but you know, cookbooks are, they're really powerful because they kind of sneak into lots of different homes. Like they seem super friendly you know, I always joke like cookbooks are books, you know, that are going to end well, <laughs> like, and they're, they're kind of welcomed by people in ways that other books just aren't. And so I think they're really powerful. And I think that we shouldn't take that power for granted. So, 
Yeah. I don't know if you asked me a question. I don't even no, really that know where was, I went, but yeah. That was exactly what I was like getting to of like, I think you explained that feeling that I saw, you know, listening to your podcast and hearing who you had on and what you were discussing and seeing you reading Chrissy's book and the, the others. It made me just go, yeah, she's on my team. Mm. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, totally, like, totally. And it's yeah. more important for you to be, I mean, it's important for everyone to be on that team, I think. But like for someone with the 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 clout that you have, but also like you were saying with cookbooks, like you can really do good. And yeah. that is so important to me because like you said, all day long, we're getting messages of like, be smaller, eat less, do these things. And from diet culture... And wellness culture does, or you know, diet culture disguised as as wellness culture often. Totally, yeah. And I think that we need we need to be having these conversations all the time to to remind us of this. And I think it, it's very easy to look at going back to the effortless, not being so effortless conversation. I think I could look at you from afar, and and I think I did like years ago, and I was like, oh, she must be a normal eater and the definition of Ellen Satter. Have you heard mm. Ellen Satter's definition of normal eating? No. Mm-mm. Oh, it's so good, Julia. I have to, I'm going to find it. And it was the first thing that was given to me on my first day of eating disorder recovery. But it, it's it's basically this long definition that's really beautiful. I'll, I'll send it to you after this. Please do. Yeah, please Maybe do. I'll read it in the intro of this. But basically, it's like Ellen Satter's like, you know, it's eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full most oh, of the time. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, yes. eating. When, yeah, that one. Yes. It's so beautiful. But anyway, I just, you can look at people and think like, oh, they're just normal eaters. And the more that I've been around people who are truly norm, normal eaters, meaning like unaffected by diet culture, like intuitively eating naturally, um, you know, my, my friend Carol, be, being friends with this chef, you know, this person who food is part of her job, but she really didn't have the the complex relationship with food that I do. And the more people I've been around who've, you know, worked in the restaurant industry or, or had just a such vastly different relationships with food than I do, it's really interesting to observe and 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 watch. And then also noticing like tiny influences of diet culture here and there coming in here and there. And it's just so pervasive and it's just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just nodding. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Well, I really want to... God, there's so much I want to cover. But I heard you speak in, in a recent episode about the time-consuming nature of cooking and that you know there's, there's patience that is involved in this. And that's, I think, what I, I struggle with the most. And, and you give this example of, you know, looking at a carrot that needs to be peeled and, you know, that kind of being daunting. And I, I think I struggle with putting in that time. And I mean, this feels very vulnerable to me, but I'm embarrassed to say that, like... Okay, next week, I finish asking that question and I leave this at a bit of a cliffhanger. But again, next week is... I always think with this podcast, and this is why I'm apprehensive of splitting it into two parts. I've said this before, but I think, you know, around 45 minutes, an hour, sometimes it takes longer, hour and 15, we forget we're recording and we really just become people with each other having a conversation. And I think that has just started to happen maybe 15 minutes ago, if you were listening to this in real time. So maybe picked up on that as well. So next time I share a lot about where I am with food and cooking and we talk about 
healthy not being the same as skinny. We talk about the quiet power of cookbooks. We talk about what we call codependency cooking, cooking for others versus cooking for one. We get into death and spirituality and romantic relationships. I do the quick fire questions. We talk about friendship. We talk about the connection between podcasting and cooking. Thank you again so much for listening. And thank you to Julia. Her new cookbook is so tremendous and really feels like her. It's called Simply Julia. So please, if you liked this conversation, if you want to cook along with her and with me, highly recommend it. Maybe pre-order it, pre-order it for a friend. She's obviously phenomenal. So the emoji for this week's episode to let us know you're listening all the way to the end is your favorite heart. We talk about Valentine's Day next week. I recorded this with her the week of Valentine's Day. So maybe it's the, I really like the two pink hearts on top of each other, kind of kitty corner from each other, or the red heart that's flat. I think it's from a card, like from a playing card, or, you know, whatever heart color you like. Comment it on Julia's Instagram, on my Instagram, on Let It Out's Instagram. Let It Out is Let It Out with three T's. If you like listening to this podcast, follow Let It Out and send us a message there. Send It's me. <laughs> send me a message and I will talk to you next week with Julia. Again, just want to remind you that March 1st is the last day to sign up for Creative Underdogs. So if you want to be in that membership, it's a place for people who have a lot of ideas and you know, more ideas than time. And I always think about this quote from Before Sunrise, one of those Richard Linkletter movies where Julie Depley's character says, I have so much I want to be doing, but I end up doing not much. That is what Creative Underdogs is really all about. It's for tender, gooey, feelings-filled folks to come together, feel supported in making art and doing their work and their lives and connecting at a time when we can all feel very disconnected. So I would love for you to join us. If you like this podcast, you will like that. A lot of previous podcast guests come in as guest artists. So there's an opportunity for you to get to ask them any questions that I hopefully ask what you're curious about, but sometimes you need to ask yourself. So I would love to see you there and I will definitely talk to you next week. Again, just want to remind you about the stereo show every Thursday at noon. Previous podcast guest Julia will be doing one in a couple weeks when her book is officially out. I'm so excited to see you there. You can join the conversation and ask questions about the topics that you've been hearing on the podcast and share your experiences and opinions. And I think it'll be a really great place for us all to connect. And that's, you know, what I think we all need a little bit more of right now. So I will talk to you on stereo. If you like this episode, if it made you feel less alone, if it made you laugh, if it helped you to feel inspired or learn something, share it with a friend or share it with, share that with me. I would love to know. So again, you know where to find me on the internet and you can sign up to get the show notes. I know we mentioned a lot of people and ideas in this episode. So if you want to receive all of those links right to your inbox, you can sign up for the Let It Out letter and the link is in the show notes. Talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.